Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. Tristan, have you been on, sorry, I guess have you been on reddit.com slash have you heard of the internet phenomenon known as trypophobia? I believe I have, Tristan, and I'm not happy that we're talking about this. <laughs> I don't, I don't have it personally, but like, I get it, you know? Yeah. So, so for anyone on the internet, this is the first educational fun fact. Trypophobia is like an internet created phobia of holes, kind of like interspaced regular holes, kind of like yes. what you see in the seed pot of a lotus flower, um, or, you know, or or even like maybe not Swiss cheese, but like um, anything that anything where you see a lot of holes in a thing. There's some thoughts that it has to do with like the way that certain type of parasitic infections look and stuff like that. But yes. really, it's it's a thing, and uh, it's most famous because there's a subreddit based on. It. You've also put in into this uh, into these notes a Google.com, a Google Maps page. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about this particular thing. And I want you to just look at it from space okay. um, to give you like the the physical experience of what it is we're yes. going to talk about today and just be like, what? I'm going to audience paint, members. Paint a word picture. Paint a, yeah, paint uh, a word with uh, a picture with thought fossils here. A, a picture with thought fossils. I'm going to paint you one of those. Audience, I am looking at what appears to be miles potentially miles, I actually don't know a scale here, of uh, holes, of just lots of holes somewhere. If I zoom out, I don't know where I am. I'm in South America and there's lots of holes that all group together and form a line. And like I said, I don't have trypophobia. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. I don't have that. But again, like I get it. I get it. <laughs> Looking at this image, it just doesn't look, I mean, it's obviously not natural, right? This didn't happen automatically, did it? No. Okay. What's up with these holes, Tristan? So today we're doing uh, an episode on, I got to say, I, I keep saying this, but this is one of the thinner ancient aliens uh, claims, but oh, essentially this is a site that is just known as the Band of Holes. Band of Holes. Yeah. It's actually rather close to the Nazca line. So we're back in in Peru and like that part of the world. But they got lines and holes over there? Yeah, they've, they've got also, they've got everything. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Do they have pyramids? Uh, not in Peru, I don't think. Although oh. they do have a city on top of a mountain though, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. With Machu Picchu. Yeah. Um, but yeah, today we're talking about this band of holes, which is 
as it literally sounds like a big, like multi-kilometer long band full of holes. Yes, it's um, like it, it looks like it's about eight to nine holes thick, right? Like widthwise, this band, and then it's just they just go on for miles and miles and miles. This this these this rope of holes that we got going on. Yeah. And so it's like it's a really like weird thing to see. And the locals don't really know why it's there or what its purpose is. Oh, well, I can answer that immediately. What's that? They're searching for Kiss and Kate, Kiss and Kate Bar- Barlow. I can't remember her name. They're searching for Kiss and Kate's missing treasure. You know this. OK. Do you know well, what I'm talking about? I do not know. This one's completely going over my head. Oh, it's from the the bookend movie Holes. Oh, um, yes. Th- that's a Shia LaBeouf movie, right? Yes. Kiss and Kate Barlow. I got it right on the first try. Try. Uh, yes, they're digging for holes. They're, di- or they're not digging for holes. <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense, would it? No. Found one immediately. No, they're uh, they're digging for some lost treasure. I'm tired of digging these holes, Grandpa. That's too damn bad. Oh, that's, that's where that classic. TikTok comes from. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm I'm learning now. I'm uh, uh, culture is coming together. Yes. Um, but another person has been to these holes and has a different interpretation than tr- tr- searches for treasure. That man is a Swiss hotelier. Don't say it. Turned alien expert, ancient alien expert. You don't have to say it. Eric von Daniken. No. <laughs> Already back. so early in the episode. Von Daniken. Ugh. He's back. Yeah. In a book called Journey to uh, Kerbati, uh, he wrote about his voyage to these holes that nobody has an explanation for what they are or what their purpose is. There's some speculation. But what Von Daniken points out is that none of these speculations make any sense. Like one of the explanations was that this was a storage, a place for storage containers. But uh, there are a lot easier ways to create storage containers than digging tons and tons of holes. Uh, dug into the stone. Oh, so this is stone. No, but he did say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> he just kind of lied about it. Um, okay. Some people said that they were graves that had been unearthed. Oh. But there's no bones, no artifacts, no jewelry, not even teeth or hair, anything. Yeah. How big are these individual holes? Do we They're know? about uh, a meter across, so about 3.2 feet and about, uh, I think like maybe, I'm trying to remember how deep they are. 20 to 40 inches or 50 to 100 centimeters. Okay. 50 to 100 centimeters. That doesn't... Feel like it would be deep enough for a grave. No, it's very likely not a grave. So, uh-huh. they, so they went to some different conclusions. Um, one one person on the internet speculated that it was ancient drilling rigs. You know, looking for Ooh. lost a, ancient alien looking for like you know digging for for all that uh, that earth gold that all we know the they earth like so much. Gold. And they get they give up after twenty inches. They go down less than two <laughs> no feet. Cold here. <laughs> no, less than two feet. They're like, all right, gotta try a different place. Yeah. Uh, and Fontanakin suspected that this looks like the work of lasers. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> you know what? Hold on. Yes. I'll I'll follow his logic here for a second. Lasers. Interesting. How so? Um, Because lasers are circles, I guess. Oh, OK. Well, I can, you really can't argue with that one, Tristan. Yeah, I don't know what the rest of I, I don't know what the rest of this episode is going to be about. So, so this episode is about the band of holes. Holes. Holes in dirt. So many. So deep. So uniform must be aliens. How dig holes? How dig holes, though? How dig holes? How make we we've we've covered how make big how how move big rock? How dig big hole? How dig how <laughs> dig medium size hole? <laughs> 
yeah, they're not even that big. But yeah, that's what we're going to look into today. The band of holes, which is truly a uh, interest. As I dug into, I'm like, okay, what do we got about the band of holes? This can't be like something wild. And then it's like, actually, it's a part of archaeological curiosity that it's something that has been largely ignored until picked up relatively recently for intense investigation and that there are several interpretations about what this could be and that it might have to do with um, even possibly redefining what the Nazca lines were for. Okay. Okay. That's very fascinating. I'm switching up my words. People tell me I say interesting too much. That's, uh, that is thrilling, that thought that you put put out there. I must know more. I will say, so we're going to get into that today, but what I will tell you is that one hint is that it's about taxes. Oh, tis the season, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is the Band of Holes. It is a bunch of holes in the deserts in Peru. Uh, it was first discovered in 1931 by an aerial photographer by the name of uh, Robert Shippey, who published some photos of it in National Geographic. Okay, good for you. Mm-hmm. And then there were some other investigations in the 1950s and the 1970s. Uh, locals called this uh, Monte Sierpe, which stands for Serpent Mountain, or uh, Cerro Viruela, or Smallpox Hill, as you can imagine, because the the, the looks like smallpox. Another reason why people might get trypophobia. Yeah, that's also true. I get this. Uh, the, I get the Serpent Mountain thing because it is very. It's sort of windy a little bit, and the holes look like scales from a from a distance. I think that's that's a little bit more interesting uh, imagery and and less. Um, I don't know, maybe a, a, a little more, uh, I don't know what the word is here. I just don't like picturing smallpox on people. No one does. That's why we have mm. vaccines. Um, so yeah, this site is a very strange looking place. Uh, it has about three foot across, three foot wide, 20 to 40 inch deep holes. They're actually pits with raised edges. Some of them are made with stones, like they're lined with rocks, mm. but not like drilled into the stone with a laser like uh, some Swiss hoteliers might want to let you know. Some people would believe it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we know better. Yeah. And in 2015, a archaeologist sent uh, some drones over the site to take some pictures, and they have detailed that there's probably somewhere between five to 6,000 of these holes in the band of holes. That's a lot. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of members in a band. Yeah, it's like uh, one of those um, one of those uh, K-pop bands, you know, just like yeah. so many members. Um, Gosh, I think we made that joke recently too in a different episode. Okay, it's like a Japanese idol band. That's another one. That's another kind of band that has a lot of members. Why not? I'm overly like critical of of of. I'm the one who edits this show, so like I'm the one who always notices. Like, oh yeah, I have made that joke before. I gotta get new material. Uh, the band starts at the edge of a valley, and it goes on for about one and a half kilometers, or 0.93 American miles. So when I was saying earlier that it went on for miles, that is went on for mile. It went on for mile. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The locals have no idea who made it or what it was used for. And and, and yeah, so like um, some archaeologists have visited, but the consensus seems to be that the holes were either for storing something, but what it is remains unclear. There's also, of course, been, as as, uh, Von Tannikin pointed out, there have been speculation that it was graves, that it was uh, possibly Mm. defensive positions. Oh, that's interesting. These were like trenches almost. Okay. Or the sign of like an old- Per person. Defending thing, Yeah. 
Um, but the, despite the fact that they went to the site several times over the late 20th century, no one's done an actual excavation of the site. Even to this day, there hasn't been one. Mm. Um, and there's no obvious artifacts that are found near the holes. Is there, and maybe maybe you'll get to this later, so I don't want to butt in, but if these holes were used to store stuff, they're out in the open. Would it be possible our old friends thieves might have come along over the years and taken everything? It's possible. Although what the answer is that what was in these things might not have been super, super valuable. Oh, okay. But let's, let's, well, let's I'm, get, in, let's, I'm intrigued. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. Um, we don't even have an agreement about what culture built these holes. We have a general good idea that we'll get to, but um, we're still not 100% because really this is one of those things where the archaeological effort hasn't been put in to really find answers to what's going on. Nobody's dug there. Nobody's really like tried to find stuff. The closest has been the work by a guy who's uh, named Charles Stanish. And essentially his work uh, investigating the site and his his research on this is going to make up the rest of this episode because he is basically uh, the only person after like the 1970s who has done actual work on the site. OK, do we like this Charles guy? Yeah, he's an actual archaeologist and I like his yeah. vibe. You'll find out he has the he has the. IPNA ethos. Okay, I like it. We we do we stand Stanish? Do yes. we stand Charles Stanish? I think so. For now, we never right. know. <laughs> For now, we'll give ourselves a little room and say that we will. We are we're Stanish of Stanish. How's that? <laughs> there you go. Um, so he first found out about the band of holes. He is a he's an archaeologist who studies the Inca, who were the empire that existed in Peru and had a very large, wide spanning empire at the time when the U the Europeans showed up until he until the Incas were overthrown by uh, Francisco Pizarro in the early 16th century, then declined the continent into a period of slavery and horror, um, as you do, as, as history do. That's no good. But the first time Charles Stanish heard about the Band of Holes was when he received an email, possibly from somebody who watched Ancient Aliens. Oh, no. And asked about the alien, asked about the Band of Holes and about the ancient alien claim. That's awesome. Thank you for doing that whoever you did whoever did that mm -hmm. and that set off it set Stanish off on his uh his interest uh to look at what's going on he works at Andean ruins and the holes weren't far from actually his work site the place where he does his regular digs so he and his colleague Henry uh Tentelian decided to go look at it on Google Maps and they saw exactly what you saw yeah. And they were surprised because this is actually like a very weird artificial structure. Yeah, it, it is super weird. I, I don't, I've i never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. So Stanish and Tentelian work together to try and figure out what the band of holes could be just by looking at it from Google Earth. And they suspected that it could be a part of a defensive structure, as we saw, mm -hmm. that it could have been a marker for a trail or uh, because this is actually pretty close to the Nazca lines, it could be a geoglyph in the same tradition or a similar tradition. Or a really bumpy airplane runway. Yeah, yeah. It's for landing bumpy it's airplanes. for landing airplanes. For, man, I forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about the air. The, the, uh, there's so many of these. Mm -hmm. I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. A bit of clarification. The person who wrote in to Stanish telling him about the, the holes, do we know if they were like a fan of ancient aliens and being like, can you confirm this? Or if they were like, can you debunk this, please? Because I think it would be very funny if it was like a fan who believed it wrote in and was like, hey, can, you're, a, you're a person or a smart guy. Can you help us 
prove that this was aliens and then all he goes and does all this research and, and presumably debunks it, I imagine. Well, uh, Stanish was a very class act and actually doesn't go into too much detail about the email. Oh, just that he mentioned the, that the email writer mentioned aliens and mentioned it, seeing it on ancient aliens and asked about what it was. So somebody was like basically asking like, hey, what is this thing? They're curious. For a split second, I really thought you were going to tell me that the person who wrote in was Eric Von Daniken. Oh man, that would be <laughs> That would have been amazing. Yeah. So in 2015, so the way archaeologists work is they have field seasons. Basically, you know, they teach all school year and then uh, once class gets out until class goes back, they and a bunch of grad students go to their field site and go at least as long as they have money to do so and go and dig in, on their site for the while and collect as many things as possible and then go back and analyze it for the rest of the year. So they're about to go on their 2015 field season. And so Stanish, who is in a place called the Chincha Valley, decided to go with Tantelion to uh, Montesierpe. And so they saw it for themselves. Tantelion described it as really impressive, like nothing he'd ever seen in his entire career. They did find, uh, on the site they did poking around, did find a small amount of pottery that looks like it came from about maybe like very shortly before the arrival of the Spanish, which puts it in the time period of the Inca Empire. All right. That's exciting. Yeah. And so like, what would, what would the Inca, what would the Inca be doing with something like this? What's, what's going on? And we'll learn that empire management is, uh, very interesting, <laughs> but, but yeah, this, uh, this pottery did make them, did incline them to think that this was probably a site that was related to the Inca because they also noticed that at the base of the site, that there are some tombs that are actually similar to those that are found in the Chincha Valley that also date to the time of the Incas. So there's some other contemporaneous stuff or there at least there's some stuff nearby that looks like it's from the Inca period. So that's that's the that's what they found. And they decided, okay, there's a mystery here. We're gonna yes. dig in. And <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what they found after product and or service. Let's do it. Man, that was some good product. Or service. Or service. <laughs> we don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is this this bit is never going to get old, right? I know. It makes us chuckle. We hope it makes you yeah. chuckle. Until it makes us stop laughing, then, you know, until we stop laughing, we won't stop doing it. That's the trick. That's the deal. I learned that that's that's how dad's works and I'm a dad now. So, that's um, true. I'm a dad in training. Um, which is to say at some point in my life I might be a dad. Who knows? No plans. You're, Who knows? you're a young guy still. You got I'm lots of time. I'm almost 30. Yeah. Okay. If you say that's young, that's fine. You're still a young guy. Don't worry. Let, tell me about these holes, Tristan. So we, just, so let me recap. I'm the audience. I've retained some of this information. There's a band of holes, a lot of them. They're not searching for treasure, potentially. I don't know. We have not really eliminated that yet. But it has to do with the Incas. What were they doing with it? What's going on? It's something boring, but maybe exciting. It's actually quite exciting uh, for understanding this period and these people. So first, they did a more detailed look at the band of holes to really figure out what was here. And what they found were that a lot of them are artificial mounds of soil and that some have small rock structures on the surface. So none of them were dug into the bedrock is the important thing. Nobody, there's no, they are holes. They are holes dug in dirt. They are not yeah. carved into stone or anything like that. All right. One claim down, but you can't, yeah. I mean, they could still carve into dirt with lasers. That is true. That is technically 
true, which is the best kind of correct. Technically <laughs> correct is the best kind of correct. Mm -hmm. So the archaeologists noted that the band actually has different groupings that they call blocks, which means that there's actually, if you look at if you look at detail at the holes, that they actually come in different blocks where you can see that a bunch of the holes in this area are made in a similar fashion. I did notice that. Like, the, it looks like there are, I mean, even just from satellite view, it looks like there's at least some sort of separation between them. Yeah, perfect. They also found that the site was close to the remains of an Inca road that also connects to a series of what are called golcas, which are essentially Inca-era storage houses. Think like warehouses for the Inca Empire. Okay. Is it anything like Warehouse 13? If by Warehouse 13 you mean instead of collecting oddities and strange things in a fun, episodic, 45-minute drama, mm -hmm. you instead mean grain, chilies, potatoes, and other um, staple crops, then yes. All right. Is there purple goo involved? There are maybe purple potatoes. I'll take it. Excellent. All right. Get some purple potatoes. Those are good anyway. Those are delicious. So again, they found the pottery. They found these buildings. They found this road. They So they suggest that the band of holes was probably made sometime in the 15th century. So sometime in the 1400s. So we're talking like very close to the Columbian exchange. So the very end of the pre-Columbian period. So um, the last century where indigenous people were not dealing with European conquest. I was going to say, like, you're, you're talking about, like, these are the last days of, and then you pause, I'm like, uh, you can just say it. These are the last days of good times. Yes. <laughs> uh, and at this point, it was the high watermark of the Inca Empire. So huge spanning empire. Uh, it's actually like... It's kind of amazing to talk about the Inca Empire because not only was it huge, but mm -hmm. like the empire was based on the Andes Mountains uh, and they had a super like intricate, complex economic system because they had to build huge like roads because like the the you know, the, the mountains aren't like exactly the most fertile places. So these um, the people who live there were very spaced out. Uh, then different crops survive and thrive at different altitudes. So you would have like a tribe that has two different sort of villages at different elevations where they do different types of work and collaborate together on these things. Oh, wow. And so, and for, for fun, this is actually the place where the potato evolved. They were the first oh, people hey. to domesticate the potato. They did it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And in doing so might have saved Europe from a Malthusian nightmare. Um, What's your favorite way to make a potato or to eat a potato what's your favorite potato related thing go Ooh. um all right i am a fan of home fries that are Ooh. very crispy Ooh, that's good i am a fan of i'll say something totally different um you know what to be honest i'm a i'm a fan of latkes i think they're delicious latkes are good they're super good so thank you for potatoes. Yeah, it did, did a lot. One of the biggest things. So the people who lived here in this region were called the Chincha people. And sometime before the end of the pre-Columbian period, the Inca conquered the Chincha. And then these holes, as, uh, as Stanish suggests, were used for tribute. So let's explore. I'll explain. I'll explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Break this down. Tribute, so, yeah. tribute so, to whom? So uh, to the Inca Empire, to Machu oh, that, Picchu, to the um, emperor. That makes sense. So early European explorers have these writings of farmers basically giving tribute to the Incan officials. 
uh, using a writing system called Kipu, which I believe I've talked about on this show before in passing. It sounds familiar, yeah. But it's another super fascinating uh, thing. So what it is, is it is a form of writing, a written language that is done by using knots in string. Yes, we have talked about this for sure. And one of the main things that it was used for was for the collection and organization of, you know, like like you know, documenting things. It's funny because uh, that's how writing started in Mesopotamia as well. Like all of the earliest writing was just like marking down trade records and things like that. So so there there is some writings about tribute being very like carefully measured and all these kinds of things being part of Incan uh, hierarchical structure. Then Stanish went to a lecture at Harvard by an archaeologist by the name of Gary Orton. And Orton was studying another Inca site at Incahuasi, which is about 75 miles north from Montesierpe. And there, an archaeologist by the name of Alejandro Chu found a bunch of knotted string recording devices, uh, those those kipu, in the colcas that were there. Mm -hmm. And the kipu seemed to be associated with the remains of different agricultural produce, such as peanuts and chilies, that had been mm. laid on the floor, divided like a checkerboard. Oh, okay. I think I'm catching on. So what they suspected was happening at this site was that farmers would bring produce to the colcas, and each, like, tribe or, like, family unit would have their square in the in the colca where they had to put, like, a segment of their harvest. Mm. And then that would then go forth to feed the Inca Empire. Okay. So, so that's at Incahuasi, and that was very interesting to Stanish. This is why uh, academic conferences happen. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I think it's cool. So yeah, Orton suggests that these squares measure the specific amount of tribute owed by each farmer or family. And then it would be recorded by an official accountant who is named a Kipu Kamayug. Sorry for all of my Kichwa speaking viewers. Or listeners, but uh, Kipu Kamayug, otherwise known as a Kipu reader, would then tie the Kipu to like record, uh, making sure that everyone had brought their tribute. It was sort of Keeping like a, tax. a record of it. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like everyone's bringing in a little bit of uh, of what they have to to help sort of feed the entire empire. Exactly, and and the Inca Empire is another one of those uh, empires that had a very tightly regulated economy. Like it wasn't very market-based. It was very much like a centralized, almost planned economy in many ways. Stanish heard this report of these checkerboard colcas and was kind of impressed because there's a lot of similarities between this checkerboard and the layout of the band of holes. <laughs> it sure is. I was I was going to say I'm I'm realizing how similar a checkerboard in this these uh these holes are uh especially because I mean yeah like they I imagine you put stuff in them and it's, I mean, I don't know. Do you play a giant game of checkers with all the stuff you put inside of them? I haven't gotten too far in deciphering this, but I think I'm onto something. You know how like at Cracker Barrel, do you have Cracker Barrel in Canada? We don't, but I have been to many a Cracker Barrel in the US. You know how at Cracker Barrel that outside they've got like, a, they tend to have a really giant version of checkers, like on a, on like a rug or something <laughs> like that. So this would be like had a, to wait uh, for a table long enough that you have to sit on the chairs and play yeah. the random games because when you're a kid, you're bored and that's where you go. Exactly. Exactly. So I imagine that the, that the band of holes is a very, 
is like a scaled up version of that, right? So they are playing checkers as they're waiting on their taxes. Chi- chi- chicken fried chicken. Oh God. I don't know. I don't know who to apologize to for that one. Um, so according to Stanish, they had a really good explanation of how these squares would be used to measure tribute. And it seemed likely that the holes of Monte Sierpe could have been used to measure out tribute as well, because the Incas didn't really have money as we know it. Mm-hmm. So in order to have an exchange system, they had to find ways to quantify corn, squash, rope, peppers, what, whatever it is that they had to to trade with. And so they had to find some way to measure, you know, you owe me this amount of stuff. They can't say you owe me like $10 worth of money or like that. So they had to be like, you have to owe me uh, enough produce to fill that hole. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that's pretty good though. I like that a lot. It's it's very smart, especially if you were someone who grew really big potatoes. Then you yeah, only have to do like. I think they were really small. For some reason, I think that like um for I think this is one not one of the potato parts of Peru. I think that's more in the uh, wetter, higher parts. And oh, their okay. potatoes were kind of poisonous. Um, that they had to like cook them to death, so they weren't like make didn't make you sick. Well, you know, poison is in the dose, Tristan. Everything's poisonous. That's true. I think that as uh, as was mentioned, I think that the main produce here were peanuts and chilies. Pe- peanuts and chilies. That's a lot of peanuts. It is. But if you think about it, you probably, if you're a farmer, you probably grow a lot of peanuts. Yeah. George Washington Carver would have gone nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even mean to say nuts. I made myself laugh as I was. <laughs> uh, anyway, continue. Please. No, no. You have to sit with that one for a little bit. <laughs> Oh, please, please, please bring the smart back to this podcast. Okay. So Monte Sierpe is actually only four miles from Tombo, Colorado, uh, which is a massive Inca administrative center that's built uh, over this Pisco Valley, which was an agricultural hub. And the band of holes was constructed along the road leading from the valley floor to Tombo, Colorado. Mm. So it's basically on the road from where all the farms are to the administrative building that oversees all the farms. Pretty logistical way to do it. Yeah, it's like the perfect place to stop, measure your produce, and make sure you have the proper amount of tribute before going to the administrative building. Building and handing in your tribute. Makes sense. So each individual block of holes might have belonged to an extended family group called an Ailu or Ayu. Uh, and so, which was their like sort of individual tax paying demographic and each social group would come up, fill their block with, yeah, squash, maize or any other produce in front of the state accountants who would be keeping a tally with Kipu. And then the goods would have been taken to Tumba, Colorado or wherever else the authorities wanted to take them. Now, so like that, that's a pretty decent explanation. They're kind of like a, a big line of measuring cups. Yeah. Fill it up, fill up the hole, fill up the hole with all your food, and that's how you know how much you owe. That's interesting enough, but this goes to a sort of next level discussion about the Inca themselves, because this is one of the rare cases where we get to see some hints of what the inner workings of the Inca empire was actually like. See, the thing is, like, people thought that the Inca, you know, were like a militaristic empire that expanded and controlled through violence and soldiers and stuff like that, but it seems that these Kipu Kayamuks, uh, Kipu Kamayuks, uh, were probably the most important part of the maintenance of the empire. If you think about it, 
an empire is in the like even think think pre you know electronic communication pre sure. even like you know vehicles and also in a society where the fastest beast of burden you have is the llama. Mm. How do you maintain an empire that stand that spans hundreds of miles with tons of people from very different backgrounds mm. and keep them all loyal to the central authority? No, like like there's not there's no amount of soldiers that can keep them all together, but. Having a dedicated infrastructure of taxation that makes sure that goods and um, that goods move and uh, and make sure that the logistics are all taken care of. Yeah. That seems to have been the important thing that kept the Inca Empire together. They made sure that everybody paid their taxes and in turn got the things they needed. Oh, that's great. It's like a little it's like a big potluck. Yeah. And one of the things about empires is that being conquered doesn't necessarily make you a citizen of the empire, but paying taxes typically does. Hmm. So by, you know, taking your beans and your chilies and pouring them into in front of these accountants would have made would have been one of the few times where this average farmer would be face to face with the power of the Incas. So you think oh. about it in your day to day life as a farmer under the in like in this valley, these Pisco Valley farmers. In their day-to-day -day life, they wouldn't ha they wouldn't even have to acknowledge that they were part of the Inca Empire. They don't see the Incas anywhere. This would be the one time where they realize, like, no, we are part of the Inca Empire because we are seeing the accountants and giving our taxes. Yeah. Look at all these, look at all these peanuts I brought. They're valuable. I'm paying my dues. Mm -hmm. So they think that the accounting practices were actually one of the key things that were for maintaining control of the empire. These accountants were the, were the main connection point between the subjects and the empire. And that also shows that if taxes were really the only way that they interacted with the empire and not like, you know, through soldiers and stuff like that, then mm -hmm. that means that because, and this is this is to be expected because the Inca was such a huge empire, that a lot of the people who lived in it were probably pretty autonomous. And that if their only interaction with uh, Machu Picchu was seeing the tax collector and paying your tribute. Yeah. That's a lot like, and then other than that, you're basically taking care of yourself. And this is not even unusual for a lot of imperial societies. Like even in medieval Europe, for example, uh, your average peasant might only deal with their local nobility when it came time to, you know, hand over their produce. Hmm. And for the most part, like a lot of those villages of that peasant farmers lived in, more or less took care of themselves. They elected their own leaders and oftentimes their local nobles didn't even live nearby. They were at court somewhere else. And so they just kind of took care of themselves. And notably, the amount of taxes that they paid was a lot lower than what we paid today. <laughs> um, and they worked a lot less than we oh, do yeah. today. Um, I bet they were just paying peanuts. Ha ha ha. Nailed it. I have no drought of peanut puns. I have all of them. Oh, boy. We got to do another peanut related uh, thing. So the other thing, too, is that what makes what's interesting is that the Band of Holes is unique. There isn't another one of these sites like it would have been uh, one thing if we had bands of holes all over the Inca Empire. But this was unique to this valley which also adds credence to the idea that there was a lot of autonomy. Because if the administrators set up this solution, then that means that there wasn't really a standard solution. And if there was another area nearby that had something kind of similar, then that kind of implies that they had a lot of their own control over how they managed things, which means that the influence of the empire was not very strong. Yeah, I bet that probably helped. It just, I mean, like, it's sort of as you were saying, I bet that really helped with, like, 
making sure that the whatever the needs of their community was met by just like the people within it and it, you know without you sometimes you don't need tons and tons of that that oversight to take care take care of the folks around you mm-hmm. this also and now this was a bit of a stretch on behalf of uh of stanish but it's interesting to point out which is that it shows that south america pre-columbian south america still had a lot of like infrastructure and ideas of of state and society and uh administration and such to the point where it's possible that we might even need to reconsider the nazca lines which we have taken many to be assumed to be of religious significance they might have had administrative purposes they might have had been for you know this is my field and that is your field or this field is mm. uh, is for taxes like we we can kind of have even though the nazca lines you know the people who built the nazca lines were gone long before the inca empire ever existed yeah. but that there might have been a cultural uh development of like using these sort of geoglyphs as methods of dealing with administrative tasks I think that's interesting. You have holes, you put chilies in, that's your taxes. The other group have these big long lines to roll out like fruit by the foot, and that's what your taxes are, I imagine. And that's what they grow in Nazca. They grow fruit by the foot. Organic fruit by the foot, just grown uh grown right off the vine. That's almost as wild as like um when I learned about loofahs and how loofahs are just like a plant. <laughs> yeah. And then you just peel it and you're like, oh, that that that's a plant? Okay. Oh, I didn't even know that till you said that just now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm look learning... it up. Like a, like a loofah, like a loofah that you use is a plant, and they just take off the skin, and then it's just, that's what that is. Oh, okay. <laughs> is it safe to eat? That's a silly question. As I mentioned, the dose is the poison, so <laughs> nothing is safe to eat. So that's the best theory that we have at the moment, but obviously it's not confirmed, and there's still a lot of digging and investigation to do. Stanish is hoping to get one of his grad students to get on it. So trying to foist a PhD student on this project. Yeah. And it's not the only belief out there. There's another uh, specialist in Inca architecture by the name of Jean-Pierre Protzen, who teaches at University of California, Berkeley, who has his own theory. Uh, he doesn't believe that the band of holes are contemporative with the are contemporaneous with the Inca and thinks they might have been used for storing guano and some digs might figure that out now do you know what guano is is that i'm gonna sound really silly if this is not it is guano like bat poop it can be bat poop yes is it just poop in general it is typically used for bird poop bird poop i for some reason i've always heard it in maybe i just watched too many videos about bats i think it might have to do with the the um the movie um Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. Mm, that'll do where it. Where they reference the scene where he eats back guano. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> yeah. That's the first time I heard the word guano. But um, now you might wonder, why would these people be storing bird poop in huge numbers? It's delicious. And I got to say, um, this is a super important substance, uh, or at least it was for a very oh. long time. Wars have been fought over guano. Whoa. Here's the reason. Yeah, please. Plants absorb nitrogen from the soil that they grow in. And once they have absorbed all of the nitrogen from the soil, the soil really can't grow anything unless you let it grow fallow for 
for about a, for another season. Okay. People have tried to deal with this in various different ways, like say growing clover on a field one year, so that next year it'll have nitrogen when all the clover goes back into it and everything. Like yeah. free crop rotation, all sorts of different answers. But one of the ways that you can fix this is fertilizer. That's what fertilizers for is is re-nitrogenating the soil. It makes things fertile. Exactly. It's a fertilizer. Now the fertilizer that we have today is chemically made through something called the Haber-Bosch process to make ammonia. Uh, the Haber-Bosch process uses uh, petroleum and is like an energy process. Uh, it, 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 was all, it was discovered by the guy who made um, some of the most horrible chemical weapons of the World Wars. So that's fun. Um, oh, but no. Fritz Haber. Yeah, he's got a fun story behind him. Um, but anyways, before the Haber-Bosch process was invented in the early 20th century, the only way that we fertilized fields was through poop. Mm. And uh, and we needed a source of that that had nitrogen. Now, you know, human and cow waste and, you know, livestock waste is like one thing. But sure. if you want to get it in the numbers that you want to start industrial farms, you're going to need like and you're going to need like a nitrogen heavy, hardcore source of poop. And guano turns out to be a very good source of that. And uh, because birds like to hang out in certain places, like on islands and like on rocks and stuff like that, it can build up over centuries into these like big blocks of bird poop. Uh, okay. And there are actually today uh, regions called the Guano Islands, which were islands covered in this stuff that there were actual wars fought over the rights to them so that they could mine this guano out of the rock to take it back to the fertilized fields. I thought you were going to say the islands didn't exist, and but then birds started pooping and there's an entire island made of guano. Well, there's a lot of guano, like, you know, a lot of guano on it. That's but, pretty uh, cool. Are, are, do birds have do bird does bird poop have more nitrogen in it because they're in the air a lot longer <laughs> because they're just flying around <laughs> sucking up all that nitrogen i don't imagine that's the reason i think it's think more so? just because their poop like they they it just like piles up in like these like bricks that you can then mine from the islands okay all right scientists get on this who's right and it also has this uh horrible like dark dance that we're in which is that now because of the haber bosch process we essentially require hydrocarbon i.e. like oil to produce enough fertilizer to produce enough food for us to live and there's no way at the moment to get off of that that doesn't involve greatly diminishing the global food supply hmm, that's no good yeah this is we're getting close to the part that makes you sad but that's up there but and, and the ancient aliens people have made the claim that these holes are just far too numerous there's so many that's unlikely prehistoric people could have ever dug a hole that many holes on their own <laughs> They're not that deep. There's a lot of them. Yeah, but they're not that deep. They're not. They're just holes. <laughs> Stanish points out, looking at them, that first of all, there's no implication that they were all dug at once. They were probably yeah. dug over a period of time. Of course. Um, and even so, he calculated that if they were all dug at once, a team of 100 workers could have done it in a month. Well, there you go. Or 10 workers could have done it in maybe about 300 days. That's less than a year. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to diminish this because it is really cool. Like, looking at it on the map is really cool. And I bet in person it would be just very awe-inspiring to look at, just seeing this this exact mile-long stretch of holes. 
it is well within the realm of, of humans doing this more so than most things that we talk about on this show. Like uh, so many other th- things that we talk about are like, yeah, I get it. They're like super impressive and it's incredibly cool that people back then were able to do this. This is like, this is really cool and interesting, but it's just holes, man. They're not. Yeah. The- this is why I was thinking that this is one of the more thin ancient aliens arguments that came up. Yeah. But uh, the part where I make you sad is actually not that sad. Stanish has said that a lot of this information that he put forward is speculative, but we could be on the cusp of a whole new understanding of how the Incas did accounting. Um, other sites with unusual alignments that have traditionally been considered religious might actually have had roles in administering the tribute system. Uh, according to him, quote, if I'm right, then we're going to have to think differently about a lot of sites that have been regarded as strictly ritual, that these were actually not just sites of religious significance, but were part of the administration of an empire. If this theory could be proved, the Band of Holes will stand as a monument to the idea that the Inc- that for the Inca too, death and taxes were all o- were the only certain things in life. <laughs> um, Clever. So the person. So so I'm, I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about the person who uh, apparently did an email called Stanish. Called. Okay. A man from Pittsburgh who said he had just seen a program claiming that aliens played a large role in the li- the lives of ancient people. I wonder what show that was. Mm. Uh, and he was interested in getting Stanish's take on a particular Peruvian site that he proposed to be the handiwork of extraterrestrials. And that's where this all got started. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing where I'm like, Stanish, you're a class act and kind of goes on to what this show is kind of about. The quote that he said after receiving this call was not to mock this guy or to, you know, be dismissive or make jokes or whatever. But his quote is, I always try to be nice to people like that. For whatever reason, they are interested in the ancient past and I share with them what archaeologists know about the subject, which I feel like is very much the ethos of yes. it's probably not aliens. I think so. I think... I mean, I think we started this podcast by trying very hard not to be snarky and sometimes we're there. Some sometimes we 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 get a little frustrated, but at the end of the day, like, yeah, that's what this show's about. It's about learning history. People who are interested in ancient aliens are inherently interested in the past in some capacity. So, hopefully, we, and I mostly mean you, can teach them some really interesting things about ancient cultures and civilizations. Yeah, I mean, we just learned about Incan taxes today, so. And we did. And so, I think the I think there's plenty of holes in this theory. Oh. <laughs> well done. Well done. But that is that is um, the band of holes. I did not know that I could make this much band of hole content, but here we are. Here we are. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, please follow us at Probs Not Aliens on Twitter. Tell us what your favorite way to eat potatoes is. I don't know. That could be fun. Bonus points to the one person who's like, I eat them raw like an apple. (laughs) Potatoes are just uncooked apples. Everyone knows this. Well, the French word for potato is pomme de terre, which means earth apple. So, whoa. That's cool. Good on you, France. Uh, Tristan and I also have projects that we work on outside of this podcast. Tristan, where can people find you? Uh, my channel is called Step Back on YouTube. It's, well, it's called Step Back. It's on YouTube. Uh, and it's a, I, I actually have a wonderful elevator pitch that I found. It was, it, somebody tweeted this one line and I'm like, oh, this summarized my channel perfectly. It's about how the past and the present are deeply connected and how history is important for understanding about how to be a well-informed person in the world but i like the quote that just says what if studying history should make you feel bad (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh-oh uh no tristan 
Tristan makes amazing stuff. Go check him out. How about you? Um, yes, I have a YouTube channel called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. I always spell it just in case. It's about you know video essays where I analyze uh, you know movies and cartoons and other things and comic books, other things that I'm interested in through curiosity and vulnerability. Uh, I have a lot of cool stuff planned this year, and I'm very excited about it. Just like I'm so excited about everyone who wrote us reviews. Thank you all for doing that. I never have them pulled up. I gotta get better at that. Uh, Ryan the Movie Lover. We got Jerzef Websum. Uh, we've got Epocalypse instead of Apocalypse. That's good stuff. Thank you to everyone who's been writing us uh, reviews. It really, really, really does help us out. Yeah. This uh, There's no recommendation algorithm for podcasts and we spread through word of mouth. Um, so... If you have somebody who might find an, uh, an hour discussion about holes uh, fascinating, and I, I know that there are people who would find that fascinating. I found it yeah. fascinating. I found it fascinating. You can tell them about it and get them to go to probsnotaliens.com to listen to it or go just look it up on any of the places where podcasts happen. Exactly. And it's also there where you can suggest episodes for us to uh, talk about. And we hope to do that in the future. We got some nice suggestions coming in. Thank you all so much much for listening uh once again i'm scott i'm tristan and uh the truth is out there probably yay